Birthday to you. <laughs> to you. Happy, birthday Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday, birthday dear, dear father. Happy birthday to you. Well, thank you very much. That's uh, come out of the blue, and thank you for that. <laughs> yes, a- another year clocked up, and um, yeah, thank you. I'm not a massive astrologist uh but i do find it interesting how people vary according to when they were either born or i think more relevantly conceived but we don't even go down that line yeah i'm not going to cross so, that bridge today john um no, uh, did you have a nice another, day another let's podcast. go down that route instead i had a fantastic day actually and Good. it's a day i will talk about in uh, a bit more detail because it comes up in one of our sections so uh-huh. yes i did a walk um and a gig in the evening obviously what else Classic. would you do on your birthday lovely good um now i don't know if you've noticed john i'm sure you have seems to be unseasonably warm the last couple of days unseasonably warm during the day but the nighttime temperature is certainly dropping now and you've probably all noticed huge amounts of condensation on your cars and windows etc uh so yeah it is warmer during some of the days uh you know we've we've got um sort of still plenty of sort of uh sunshine and such like but um i reckon in the next day or two we're gonna have our first frost of the day some places have had it already and um and you know with the clear nights you get the the wonderful sort of like you know we've we've got an almost full moon at the moment and um so lovely views of moons jupiter's been very good and uh the stars look great so which also brings on this whole thing of the father nature policy of trying to get out a little bit for walks in the evening um keep this going in the lead up to winter part of our sort of like you know uh strategy if you want to call it that for coping with winter blues etc so good little habit to get into and that also will come up in uh one of our sections today i'll tell you what else i've noticed um oranges i'm gonna i'm gonna group all of those types of fruit into oranges whatever easy peelers are um really nice at the moment really really good okay but that's probably more to do with where they're exported from Ah. um so that's not we we can't count that as a seasonal (laughs) fruit unless you count foraging in a in a greengrocer's as foraging Mm. which you might and that's fine 
It Dweeb. is nice in Florida at the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, we, we have kith and kin in Australia where the days are getting longer and um, and warmer now as we as we proceed into uh, shorter and colder. Mm. Any any Tom's update from you then, Rob, in terms of um, either your harvest or what you've done with it? Yeah, there is actually. So I um, was in the garden over the weekend, like having the first clear down really like for the winter and um, the plants were still out there and they mm. ha- and I, I collected like another colander's worth really. So I've got another col- colander's worth of tomatoes. They're all like, they're probably a few weeks off being ripe and they took mm. about that length of time last time and I last took them off the vines to ripen. So I might end up giving some of these away because... Um, will be a wave for when they're ripe i would have thought mm. but if they do ripen then i'll probably make another jam to be honest because we've been making yeah. this jam and it's been so nice like i've been yeah using it on everything and if you um, leave a few ripe ones in with the slightly greener yellowy ones they do promote the ripening process uh, so it's worth keeping a few a few red ones in there as well because i read the same with a banana i heard if you put oh. them by a banana it has the same effect but there you go i haven't tried that and i do have some red tomatoes so i'll do yeah. that they um, obviously give off the same sort of chemical yeah but no that's it really it's uh definitely the last of the season now because i've mm. kind of taken the plants out and i've put the compost back on the beds and repotted everything so um yeah the season is done but it's been a good one it's been uh, great it's your it's first been very season you couldn't you be move proud. for tomatoes <laughs> <laughs> i know well it's been um i know it's been a slightly overwhelming yield if i'm being completely mm. honest mm. but yeah. um but no it's been cracking like i say like we've um i'll definitely do it again next year mm. i want to try some different ones i think because obviously i had so many of the same which has yes. been nice but like i want to try different colors different shapes different sizes yeah. because it's been nice like my sister um helps out on an allotment and we went over and i was there a few weeks ago and like trying the different tomatoes there and it's this tastes so different and they're oh, also yeah, yeah there's there's a lot of fun so yeah mm. i think um over the next few weeks and months definitely be in that planning phase of looking to see what i want to do next year but tomatoes will definitely feature again Mm. good stuff how how many if you had to guess how many pots of jam have you produced (laughs) it's probably not um, like that mental underwhelming now isn't it (laughs) yeah it is well they do cook down (laughs) small don't they they do so it's like i would say like Oh, I don't know, maybe a kilo, kilo and a half of... No, yeah, a kilo of tomatoes, I would say, boils down to, like, two jam pots of jam. Mm. And so mm. um, if you were to look at the amount of tomatoes I've consumed via jam, it would probably be more impressive than the, the amount yes. of jam I've been <laughs> spreading. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's been really nice. I've given a pot away to my sister, but I've heard nothing of the feedback, so I can <laughs> oh. they've either... <laughs> not opened it or thrown it out or absolutely hated it so or saving it <laughs> for a very special occasion because it'll be so yeah, marvelous mm, be perhaps. re-gifted at christmas back to me maybe <laughs> <laughs> right then let's crack on with our october episode and start with section one rob which is, of course, getting some sense out of father. Getting some sense out of father. Come on then, John. What are you going to serve us up with okay. for October? 
So let's let's go down the visionary line to start with. So okay. I think anyone who's see? been walking around the their garden, around the countryside, around parks, etc., etc., in the last probably three weeks, will have seen a whole multitude of different fungi coming up: toadstools, mushrooms, various fungi. So, have you guys seen this? You seen lots about mm, only on your Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, oh, the right. Instagram's been. Uh, <laughs> well, you haven't got good. out enough then. So, uh, what I will ask you guys is: so, how many times have you actually picked and eaten a wild mushroom? I've never picked one. I feel like I've eaten some that have been foraged, though. Maybe at yours. Um, right. But yeah, I've never been brave enough to pick some myself. No. And that's interesting because that is uh, actually, I think the general case with the public and with good reason and this is what i wanted to talk a little bit about today because we're seeing all these fungi and there's you know people are foraging for fungi and i had a report uh, only last week of somebody who had picked a load of fungi and taken them back and given them to somebody to cook and fortunately the cook checked them out and i think they said something like two-thirds of them weren't edible and uh so i wanted to just sort of spend a a little bit of time talking about the the issue with foraging uh fungi so fungi are split according to i mean they obviously in all their family and genes uh, genuses and stuff like that classification wise but as far as being as far as foraging goes they've got a few um classifications so we get ones that are considered edible now in my case i've got probably 10 maybe a dozen edible fungi which i'm confident with and they're the only ones which i will pick and even then i would probably have a quick look at the the guidebook now my good friend and mushroom mentor paolo uh he's probably got three times that number or more which he's not necessarily confident to pick and eat but he's confident to identify and uh this is a thing which i think we we all visually we can start to improve on because the fungi are fantastic they're easy to photograph because they're sort of stationary they're all over the place and uh and but some of them are really beautiful and colorful so my encouragement to everyone at the moment is go out take pictures but anyway we got the the so we got edible fungi you've then got ones that are considered inedible and they tend to be um sort of various sections like they're non-toxic but uh they're either tasteless or actually taste vile but they're non-toxic so they're classified as inedible then we get some that are edible when processed and this might be with something like cooking for example there's lots of uh, mushrooms called a blusher about at the moment and they're toxic unless they're cooked so and then you get uh ones uh the next category is uh ones where you need to i think the the category is called caution and this means that uh they might well be uh that's a bit ambiguous (laughs) yeah well it is is it that is perfect they're edible 
but a lot of people might be allergic to them right and uh or they they might be edible but you mustn't eat something else particular with them or for example um if you uh drink alcohol so we we probably all would know what a shaggy ink cap looks like if we saw it and there's a few members of the ink cap family and they're some of them are edible but if you've had alcohol 72 hours before or you have it 72 hours after having these mushrooms you'll be violently sick <laughs> and uh indeed this has been known through history apparently sailors wives used to dry ink caps and uh feed their sort of rum swigging uh sailor husbands this when they were back in port to make sure they weren't out on the lash all the time so um next time i'm ill on a night out then i'll just claim i've had an ink cap in the last yes. 72 hours <laughs> that's right <laughs> so um and the other ones that come under the caution label are ones uh which are edible but they're very easily confused with um one of the poisonous ones so then we move on to the poisonous categories, of which there's two. And uh, one is called straightforward poisonous. And these are ones that contain toxins that will result in either a gastric upset, so sickness, diarrhoea, uh, etc., or ones which are hallucinogens or psychotics. And uh, so they're toxic uh, and uh, poisonous. But not so likely to kill you so the last category and of course we're we're moving into the terrain here which is what puts everybody off of trying wild fungi fair enough uh is deadly poisonous and so we have things like uh the wonderfully named death cap and uh if you do take death cap that is it, my lovelies. It's lights out time because uh, they cause a catastrophic failure of uh, liver and kidney. And apparently you can be hospitalised, you can be treated, and then suddenly you feel a bit better and then you die. So um, they are, you know, there's no antidote to death cap still. Um, if you have them, you're brown bread. Um, and there's others like the Destroying Angel. Um, <laughs> you, you know, they're, they're named accordingly. And they look so unpretentious. But the one that looks incredible, that we all know, is the archetypal toadstool uh, with scarlet cap and white spots on it. And th this is a type called the Fly Garrick. And this has got a great little story behind it, really. So this falls into the poisonous category. It's not likely to kill you, but if you take fly agaric, you'll be uh, nauseous and you'll be sick, and then you'll probably trip out for a bit because it's got it's full of hallucinogens. So the the sort of quirky side of this, which I hopefully our podcast listeners will find interesting, is that the um, the Sami people up in northern Finland, uh, they recognise that the their reindeer uh, would feed massively on fly agaric without seeming to have any ill effects. So, but what they found out, and don't ask me how they found this out, was that when the uh, reindeer eat 
these mushrooms, they actually filter out the uh, toxic... Uh, sorry, they filter out the hallucinogen into their urinary system and that comes out basically in their urine, which basically goes straight into the snow, so freezes hard. Now, the Sami people actually collect the yellow snow from the uh, reindeer and they'll actually uh, thaw it out and drink it. And that gives them what you might call a recreational um, highlight to their season. Uh, but they, the reindeer have filtered out the uh, the toxic side to it, so they don't actually get the nausea, etc. So, you know, how they find these things out, I don't know. <laughs> but it's quite a magical story, isn't it? Feels mm. like there's easier ways to get a buzz on, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> well, they think this is how... It goes further, you see. If you might imagine these um, these wonderful Sami people actually stoned out their bonds on Fly Garrick, and they would be looking over their reindeer, and presumably they would be flying around all over the place in their yeah. sort of hallucinate, hallucinatory uh, text. And there are there's a lot of thought that this is how the whole origin of Father Christmas going through the sky in red and white that cap thing and uh flying through the sky being dragged by a load of reindeer might have come about who knows but you know this christmas we might find out (laughs) (laughs) right well that was uh, a very interesting start to the podcast john um so (laughs) just to summarize we're saying um look with your eyes don't touch, don't taste. Uh, the, the ultimate foraging thing, if anyone comes on uh, one of our foraging walks, we always say, if in doubt, you leave it out. And uh, another one that was a, a, a child, actually, who came on one of our walks, quoted to me, which I loved, was, don't munch on a hunch. So <laughs> you've you've really got... I mean, I would say to people, actually... If you're interested in fungi, spend your time, which is what I'm doing now, uh, just learning more about ID, identifying them. What else are you going to suggest for us for October? So, we mentioned going for a little wander in the evenings. um, And we might get this evenings and daytime, but you're more likely to hear it in the evenings because there's not much competition for sound. Um, I've got a little call here for you. Uh, I'd like you to be listening out for this. That sharp So that's one, and this is its very close relative, a much different sound. So we we first of all had that seep, seep sound, and this is another one which is much more of a chuck, chuck, chuck type sound.
Right, I think that'll do for that. So, um, <laughs> how many members of the Thrush family do you guys know? Rob's very familiar. <laughs> Go on, Rob. He's got a long history with the Thrush family. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I will guess six. Well, no, I was going to say, can you name them? <laughs> How oh. many spring to mind? <laughs> the Song Thrush. Oral... <laughs> song Thrush is a good one, yeah. Um, 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 do they all have the word thrush in them? No. Missile actually. thrush, is that Yeah, nice. well done, missile thrush. That's our really largest nice. native thrush. That's a good one. So we've got Song Thrush, missile thrush, and there's um, a dear old blackbird, of course. Really? Yeah, the blackbird is a thrush family. There's a, a quite an unusual one uh, called a ring ozel, which you might see up in the like Peak District, Lake District, etc. A bit of a mountain moorland bird. Mm. Um, but we're about to be joined by two of their lovely relatives from as far north as sort of Scandinavia and uh, Russia, even. And as the, the temperatures plummet up there. They they come down to sort of northern, well, our sort of latitude, Britain, and um, and we we'll be able to hear them coming in, especially during the evening. The red wings, especially, they're, they're nighttime flyers, so we'll hear that seep seep. And uh, so, what are the two? Often... Oh, sorry. So mm. the other two are red wings, and mm. that was the first one that we listened to that produced that seep seep sound and you'll hear that once you've heard it once you'll keep hearing it mm. it's it's one of those things that you tune into uh the chack chacking is from uh it's slightly larger relative called a field fair and uh they're both thrushes they're both beautiful birds actually um very similar habitats to our um our native thrushes and uh, and they're coming down basically to take advantage of the warmer climate that we've got here, which means that we'll still have things like berries and fruit available for them to feed on. They they love orchards, they love windfalls, and uh, they love hedgerows. But of course, they also on you know as you were saying it's still quite mild so we'll still have quite a lot of invertebrates and worms and things in grasslands so they will hit meadows and uh and they move with a very what you might call almost a mechanical type of movement they'll hop a few paces then be looking round for worms and such like then they'll hop a few more um they can form quite big flocks actually they come in sort of relatively individual but they'll soon be in flocks of anywhere from 20 up to 200 quite easily and um they're 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 fabulous to have aboard i think and uh they they do cover a lot of the country and they're they're not overly fussy about sort of you know whether they'll hit town parks or you know real open countryside and wilderness so and even if you are in towns and cities, you can hear them going over because they'll be obviously travelling. Of course, some might go right down south. Some might go as far as, you know, going across the um, channel, further south still. So we will hear them. And uh, basically, that's what they are. Mm. Yeah, my, a couple of years ago, 
my dear mother and I went on a walk around here and we stumbled across, you know, we were walking through a field and there was maybe like 50 red wings just on the floor, like yeah. just all pecking about and neither of us recognised them. And I think I messaged you at the time, John, saying this. Right. Because they've got a really distinctive... Like they're really like you can easily pick them out, can't you? And so I yeah, describe them. If you can see them a little bit more closely, um, they've got a, a a wonderful eye stripe, yeah, um, which picks them out. Mm. If you're quite close, you can also see that they've got this sort of like red patch under the wing, which is why mm. they're called red wings. And the um, the field fairs are quite a pretty bird as well. Actually, they they sort of got a um, they they look like they're they're. I mean, they're large, but they're quite grey with a sort of brown. Looks like they're wearing a brown gilet almost because they've got this 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 lovely sort of greyish head and tail, and uh, and then brown back and sort of the top side of the wings, and both of them got speckly sort of mm. uh, breasts. So, um, and but they're quite often will mix in together, and right. uh, if they're all mixed in together. It sounds silly, but one of the ways to tell them apart is because it's always the field fairs that are trying to drive the others away. They're they're a um, they're they're a sort of slightly feisty character, and they don't like to share too much, which is unusual for a flock bird. But they're they're always bickering with with each other and themselves. Sounds but, familiar. <laughs> <laughs> but, and yeah. when are they here with us, still, John? <coughs> they'll be here till around about april okay. and a very very few of them will breed way up north scotland and such like but they they will sometimes stay along so that in in early april days sometimes in a beautiful day in march you'll hear them starting to do a little bit of sub song because at when they come in, like most of our birds, they're not doing a true song. They're just doing calls. And uh, so, yeah, you, I've heard quite a few times Red Wings just doing a bit of a sub song. And they're, they're all gathered together. And if you cup your ears and listen to them, it they, sounds like an aviary. So it's, uh, again, some something else to listen for. They'll all collect in an oak tree. There might be 50, 60 of them. And they're all... Not giving it full pelt, but just having a, a little song. And, uh, yeah, nice to hear. Lovely. Very good. Right, so uh, we've got something to see. We've got something to hear, John. Is that you yep. out? No, not no. by a long way. So, mentioned on my, my birthday treats was uh, doing a walk for the um, the wonderful Eco Rother Action Group. So, big shout out to them. Splendid group. Uh sort of basically working on trying to green up you know the way we all live and but keeping it at a sort of local level looking after the sort of cleanliness of the waterways is a big thing for them because the rother is a river um but yeah a splendid group and you know i really do wish them well and they asked me to do a walk and with maybe a a sort of leaning towards foraging and the sense i'm looking at here is feeling now i'm not talking about touch but i'm talking about how we feel because the right. uh the the title that i gave them was why foraging is good for the mind as well as the belly and uh so obviously if we're foraging you know there's various herbs and nuts and fruits and indeed fungi out there that 
we would think of well that's good this is our larder um but what i'm kind of the angle that i was going at was you know let's just say we've had you know 40 million years of evolution as a hunting scavenging animal so for about sort of point naught naught one percent of that have we had anything that you might marginally call a trading post or a shop where we can actually buy so we've had these all this millennia having to provide food or seek out food and it would have been by foraging by hunting by scavenging and uh, then moving on to growing and farming etc but having to acquire it um in a very sort of close to nature way and the the way i sort of would approach this is to think if you deny any creature any wild creature its natural instinct you see what we call stereotypic behavior creeping in so you you know you see this in badly kept zoos and such like where you've got creatures that can't fulfill their natural instincts and they start to just pace up and down they self-harm they they literally become depressed and they don't live long they they um they sort of like go down with diseases very easily and uh and so although that sounds a bit dramatic for me the whole process of acquiring food whether it's um sort of um hunter gathering uh scavenging type mode is actually instinctive for us and when we recon we get back in contact with our natural self and our natural instincts uh it does good things for our minds and in actual fact that the the nub of the whole thing was i mean a good walk in the country does a similar thing and uh as they have found out very much and a lot of this research comes from what the uh japanese have done with um what we call forest bathing where they've actually taken blood samples air samples this that and the other but in effect a good foraging session, a walk in the countryside, etc., will release four lots of what we call the happiness chemicals. Now, obviously, this is not within our conscious ability to uh, control. This will happen because it's it's natural for us, and uh, you know it is the mind's way of sort of almost rewarding the body for doing what it's doing and those those happiness chemicals essentially we've got dopamine which we've come to call the uh the reward chemical and so you imagine it you're foraging you're you're looking for things and then you find and you pick that's that sort of reward side coming in eating itself is seen as like a reward system and then you've got uh oxytocin which is the uh love hormone and uh it's kind of represented in this term by the fact that sort of foraging especially still in indigenous sort of uh um, peoples is very much um a social sharing event you know you would have 
some of you going off to acquire food and it wouldn't just be for yourself because we've never we're 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 social animals um and uh and so you know the socializing sharing thing is so good for us uh serotonin very much in the news as we as we go towards um the the winter it's uh it's boosted by sunshine walking in nature meditation etc and so all those things quite obvious to uh foraging and then we get the endorphins which is a sort of fairly uh unusual one but apparently is very much uh present in bloodstreams uh when you've been doing things like um forest bathing and walking in the countryside and etc and but they are kicked in more by the very fact that you're outside and breathing in some of the essential oils and things that are given off by trees and and such like um exercise is obviously something which kicks the endorphins in and uh and obviously uh foraging is a uh an active thing you know you you often walk i don't know how how long our uh well i know we walk for about i don't know two and a half hours it's not a big distance if you're foraging with me because i tend to walk slowly and talk a lot so uh <laughs> which often results in laughter and that's another thing which uh gives you an endorphin buzz so again all i'm all i'd say is right get out there with your mates and enjoy a walk in the countryside look for things share things laugh enjoy this is going to be really important as we get get towards winter but it's it's proven that it works Mm. firstly thank you for that john secondly rob how do you think you'd get on as a a hunter gatherer (laughs) because i think well you're a good runner (laughs) yeah but i always see more as the like gazelle sort of running away from danger as opposed mm, to like a hunter fair. gathering my own food um <laughs> yeah i don't we, know we should um, call out your running achievements actually because you have you have hit your target have you not for this year or? i probably will by the in the next couple of weeks so oh, okay. yeah my well, we target was you for now, no thanks though, for <laughs> highlighting my uh no you're still behind my shortcomings yeah um <laughs> But on the running point, which I think ties into John's point, um, like it has been so nice running after work these last few weeks. A, because the temperatures, it's just, you know, when there's Mm. a clear day, it's so crisp and like I love the feeling of the cold air like into your lungs and uh, like that I find really refreshing and nice. But also because of the time of year as well, I'm often like running back into a sunset or running, you know, out towards a sunset, which is so Mm. nice because... I don't know, it's just a lovely way to end the day, really. Um, so, yeah, we'd definitely encourage people to get out on a run or a walk or That's whatever. one of the advantages, yeah, this time of year. You're quite right, Rob. It's it's far easier to experience dawn and dusk at this yeah. time of year because the days are that, that little bit shorter. Well, quite a bit shorter. Um, and that is, you know, when we keep looking for sort of positives, as it were, like this morning there was a fantastic sunrise mm. and uh it, it wasn't because i was out massively early i mean the, the sunrise was about sort of 10 past seven this morning well it was before that but the pink sky that i experienced which was stunning was about 10 past seven and uh you know it's 
if if you think about high summer etc to get the equivalent to that you would need to be up at four o'clock so it's uh, mm. there are benefits to the shorter days mm. yeah and i'm watching the sunset probably like <clears throat> i don't know 6:45, like six yeah. so it's easy to go and see um yeah no it's been lovely the last few weeks mm. now rob do you think we've got some sense out of father I think as we've much done as, as we're likely we can. to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Section two, Robbie, which is of course what's in Father's diary this month. What is in Father's diary this month? Okay, so we were looking not so long ago at the Maybon Equinox, were we not? And halfway between the Maybon Equinox and the Yule Solstice, we have a celebration called Samhain, which is spelt Samhain, um, and is Irish for summer's end. And I think, I'm pretty sure we did about this on our podcast of the same time last year. So, won't need to cover it in too much detail, apart from the fact that, say, well, it's a good opportunity for a celebration. Obviously, it's it's the last of the um, harvest festivals in the Celtic calendar, and uh, it sort of it does mark really, as it says, the, the end of summer, and it acknowledges the return of winter. And uh, it's 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 long been used as a celebration involving food. And, uh, you know, back in the day when the sort of like Celtic farming community would mark it as a time actually to they would start slaughtering animals that they wouldn't want to put through winter because, you know, preservation became a bit easier with the cold. And so and because we're not talking we're talking about homesteads here so we're we're talking they might have been able to cut enough hay to see three or four cattle through so if they've got six cattle you know you know they they would have slaughtered one to see them through the winter months or you know pig sheep whatever it might be so um so and that of course you know sacrifice means make sacred um, that would have been done in a in a sort of way where they really did sort of honour the death of that animal it, it, as something that would feed their community, etc. Because um, food is such a sort of incredibly valuable, obviously, resource, especially living in this country. You know, frankly, it's, it would be really hard to eke out a living just foraging in this country, you know, farming would have made it possible but it still would have been tough existence i think um so obviously since christianity arrived uh we've had a slightly different version of sawain and uh the, the christian version tends to be called all hallows and uh we probably well all hallows is is essentially um a celebration the other name for it is all saints day and it is the celebration of the saints so it's become I guess less seasonal and less sort of to do with the environment and more to do with sort of like uh, what you might call Christian personnel. Uh, but what has sort of stayed on is All Hallows' Eve, which we tend to know as Halloween. And um, mm. again, it's it's so Halloween essentially is 
a real dovetailing of the Christian celebration and the pagan celebration. It sort of it still is the time when it's thought that the the veil between what you might call the living world and the next world is at its thinnest, and this is why the the various sort of Halloween version uh, celebrations you might say are, are quite sort of ghostly, and um, you know we all find it spooky, but I think back in the day um, it was seen as more actually relevant about communicating with maybe you know deceased relatives and such like and uh and wasn't seen so much as of spooky a bit like the um the was it the festival of the dead in um day of the dead day of the dead yeah i mean that that's not as spooky i mean the commercialized side of it is made out to be spooky but that was all about honoring the dead mm. and uh and so i you know halloween i mean obviously we don't know how but it was like hundreds of years ago and I know that it's sort of been it has been incredibly commercialized now which is never a good thing and uh but um it lives on and uh I think anyone if anyone wanted to do a decent halloween party this year I'd say spice it up a bit by looking at the history a little bit of it um <laughs> you know make make it just a little bit more sort of like I don't know whether authentic's the right word, but sort of just a bit different from trick or treats and fireworks and you know throwing having, eggs at people's houses. That yeah, kind of thing. egging people's houses, <laughs> eating stacks of sweets that get put out for you and all that rubbish. <laughs> oh God, I've turned into an old cynic. There I go. Mm. <laughs> so you won't be trick or treating uh, this year, then, John? No. I don't think I've ever been trick or treating, but no. having said that, well, that explains um, your attitude towards it. Then it's brilliant. <laughs> I didn't even know if they had it in my time, but um, but having said that, as you well know, we do mm. put out sort of goodies. Well, maybe for... instead this year, John, instead of sweets, you can educate everyone on the um, on the history of the celebration. I have a treat for you all, kids. <laughs> yeah, a brief Gather history around. of. <laughs> 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 yeah. Put your buckets away. Put your buckets away. Robert, let's move on. Let's. So the third and final section, as always, is what on earth is Father doing this month? What on earth is Father doing this month? Right then, John. Unlike two months ago, Father's back is good, so Father is more active now which is great um mm. back to doing the foraging walks um got three more planned there's one 30th of october and another couple the 12th and 13th of november uh i'm back doing my bushcraft sessions again which is f- fabulous fun um and it's fine this time of year trust me bushcraft people think oh it's outside in the woods and this and the other but there's nothing like a decent bit of cold weather to encourage you to learn how to light fires but properly um and the other thing i like to add into my um bushcraft sessions is uh some aspects of wild food which we're always banging on about and um there are loads of veggie op- uh, options as well but of course it's game season now which i just wanted to mention sort of like there's uh 
in in the what you might call the hunting world uh you can't just hunt year round things are split into seasons uh so that sort of you know you don't take out what you might call breeding animals and uh animals that might be pregnant and things like that so and uh so at the moment the game season has started for things like pheasant duck geese uh female red deer fallow bucks roebucks muntjac deer and on top of that you've got wood pigeon rabbit gray squirrel and um you know whatever else you might scrape off the road it's all yes yes yeah and uh so but it's another part of my whole thing banging on about connection to nature is this connection to food and we we were talking about this rob with the whole tomato thing you really do feel connected to things that you grow and if for example you're if if you're a meat eater and you've only ever bought stuff wrapped in cellophane, then to gut and skin and joint something like a rabbit will sort of, although it might phase people initially, it connects them massively to that food. And again, I just going back to what we were talking about in the sort of the feelings section, I think there's part of our um our instinctive sort of dna that means that that process is actually quite um therapeutic and mindful because you're you're catering for yourself in the most sort of uh real way that you can and um you know if it if it's not your bag then that's quite fair enough you know we we've all become so detached I think from our food that I I completely get it when people become what you might call squeamish about these things um but if you're not then having a go at it and doing it can be hugely um satisfying and then mm. cooking it and eat it even better nice yeah Jasper you must have a bit of an inside scoop on what it's like to live with father during game season <laughs> oh i've got an inside scoop was um what what was his famous quote when he came and visited us at uni that time oh i know oh. i can't remember the seat like uh, yeah i can't remember the backstory but it was uh i think it was just explaining it was explaining how um roadkill was often utilized um yeah you know, uh, it's, to avoid it going to waste, it would end up on the mm. dinner plate. Um, yeah. And then John said, "We never did struggle for venison." <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Oh, it's, funny. it's very true. And but I don't think anyone in my family has ever had food poisoning. No. Do you still have the big, like, butcher's block out the back? <laughs> no, I haven't got the butcher's block anymore. Um, right. That was mainly for when we were doing a bit of small-scale farming, really. So right. um, something like, I mean, f- so for instance, if we've got two minutes, if I see a recently killed deer on the road, I will stop and 
check its temperature. <laughs> right. Now, I'm not going to stick a thermometer up its backside or anything like that. You basically... Stick a um, finger up there and... <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't, but you're not far from it. You sort of just, you know, f- feel its um, body and see if there's any residual warmth there, it's still going to be fresh enough, okay? The first thing you need to do is get the guts out because the enzymes in the guts keep working and they will blow it up. And you don't want that. So you get the guts out, get the bladder out, and then that carcass you can then hang. And it's quite small, as you know. Roe deers aren't very big. So I'd literally, you know, I'd just hang it up in my garden or my shed for a, you know, until I can get round to butchering it. Jasper's bedroom. Mm. (laughs) i probably well i don't know i think i mean your brother was the only person in history who's ever said oh no not venison in red wine again (laughs) (laughs) i do remember that it's quite hurtful (laughs) lovely problem to have (laughs) yeah exactly yeah but i don't i Um, hate to think of those things going to waste no yeah um well, that was a very interesting episode. <laughs> Quite diverse. Very diverse. Um, definitely explored a few things that we haven't explored before. Any closing thoughts, Rob? <laughs> no, another enlightening hour with Father. Yeah, it's Thank always different, much. isn't it? You never quite know what you're going to get, which which <laughs> I think... Expect the unexpected. Yeah, maybe keeps our listeners coming back for more. Um <laughs> Which is a good yeah. thing. Have a nice celebration. What was your celebration again, John? Sawain. Sawain. Yeah. Have a nice Sawain. And um, <laughs> or it might you. be All Saints, or it might be Halloween. Whatever, you, whatever. Yeah, you've gone into fire. all that already. Yeah, we know about <laughs> it. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, speak to you in a month. <laughs> yep. Very okay, good. guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. Do we need okay. to close out with the, uh, you know, the signature. Well, line, yeah. Then? We do need the signature, John. Okay, so enjoy the nature. Lovely. (laughs) 